Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. I want to start with a message to those of you listening to this in Alberta. Albertans, are you, are you guys okay? Is everything okay after the riots? I mean, I read about it. I read about it. I'm reading now from a Huffington Post story. Albertans are rising up against Tim Hortons. Dear God, right, national news story. Albertans are rising up against Tim Hortons after the coffee and donut chain pulled ads for energy giant Enbridge from its locations. The national news attention on this protest which I think physically manifested in at least six people, maybe maybe even 24, protesting outside of a Tim Hortons location in Calgary. It got attention on the scale of the tens of thousands of students who protested in Montreal. How did this happen? I know this is very silly. It's a silly story that the news loves to run, people boycotting Tim Hortons. But how this became a national news story is worth a close look because it's a story about manipulation. It's a story about manufacturing outrage. It's a story really about deceit, about fooling people into thinking that a lot of people are angry about something that they really are not. The person who took that close look is Paul McLeod, the politics editor for BuzzFeed Canada. Yes, there is a BuzzFeed Canada, and yes, it has a politics editor. Paul is a former political reporter for the Chronicle Herald in Halifax, and that's where I met up with him to talk about how this happened and how reporters get spun by people in politics all the time. Wait for it. 
This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Michael McDaniel, Sig Gerber, Thomas Woodhall, Ken Donnelly, Terrence, Isaac Waller, Alexandra Naylor, Jonathan Fiddler, Natalie Clancy, and George Berger. George, why did you decide to be awesome? There's very few people that I have as great a confidence in who do have politics different from my own that clearly value truth and uh, and honest reportage over everything else. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen... I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is also brought to you by our first sponsor ever, the Canadian company FreshBooks, a super easy cloud accounting solution that is designed for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and freelancers like Chad Moore. Chad, tell me about your business. I am a freelance graphic designer and web developer. I now use FreshBooks to invoice for my business. And why did you decide to use FreshBooks? It's awesome. Like, it's just, it's a really very handy tool, uh, much better than the alternatives that I was aware of when I signed up, um, particularly because it's all web-based. And I really like that their head office is like less than a kilometer away from my house. Guys, I just did my taxes. I am very glad that I have FreshBooks. It makes my life easier. You can try it for free for 30 days when you go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. And when you do sign up, tell them who sent you. You'll be supporting this show. Freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. So, Paul, I'm looking at the headlines today. Uh, Global News protesters call for Tim Horton's boycott. Tim Horton's boycott follows Enbridge ad flaps, says Huffington Post. Tim Horton's pulls Enbridge ad sparks Twitter furor. If I go outside today to a Tim Horton's, am I going to get... Uh, oh, I mean, it's chaos out there. They're, they're throwing rocks through the windows. I mean, they're looting Timbits. It's just a complete madness. People are up in arms about this Enbridge thing. 
it's all anyone is talking about for sure uh, because it was trending on Twitter. So this must be true. I haven't actually left our hotel yet, but I'm assuming that's the case out there because Lord knows if it's trending on Twitter, this has to be something that Canadians care about. And seen. <laughs> there is often a gulf between, you know, when we're reporting on, on a popular movement and then the reality of the popular movement, yeah. there's often some, some light between those two things. I can't remember an occasion where there's been as much space between those two things. If you read the papers today, you would get the sense that this country is boycotting Tim's because they pulled Enbridge ads because this country is on side with the oil and gas industry and they will not get their Tim Hortons coffee. I don't think that there's any sense in 99% of Tim Hortons locations in this country oh, God, that anybody no. gives a damn about no, this. No, no, yeah. I mean, they, they, how could people possibly care about something so silly? This started from an actual uh, movement. I mean, well, movement. It was a petition, but, you know, there were, I guess, tens of thousands of people who signed a petition that they were uh, angry uh, that Tim Hortons was taking ads from the uh, oil science company Enbridge. Uh, for this uh, Tim's TV thing that they were doing that sounds terrible in their stores. Um, and uh, Tim's not wanting to annoy its customers decided to take the ads down, which is something that companies do all the time. They, you know, pander to their customers. Um, and then this this backlash to the backlash comes out and seems to get far, far, far more of a, of a grassroots upheaval than the initial petition. More more coverage and more attention far for more the backlash of the backlash, but the original movement of the petition of we don't like these Enbridge ads yeah. and Tim Hortons, that actually did have, I think, about 30,000 signatures in the petition. What you've documented for BuzzFeed Canada is that the backlash to the backlash, the conservative uh, response saying Tim Hortons is, is showing a lack of fidelity to the oil industry, you've really documented how the, a handful of people made that happen. Yeah, and really one guy. It's uh, it's astounding. It really came down to one guy, a guy named Stephen Taylor. He's a longtime uh, uh, conservative, a former candidate. He's done a lot of work for conservatives over the years. Uh, his field is strategic political communications, as they say. Uh, and this is the stuff he does. I mean, he, his job is to manufacture uh, anger, manufacture interest, and manufacture controversies like this. And he's I got to say, he's doing it very well. I don't know that he would necessarily protest any of these descriptions. I've, I've been aware of him as he's sort of a fixture in the conservative blogosphere. He's been on Twitter. He's been a candidate. He's been paid. And he's sort of, um, you know, you might less generously describe him as a hatchet man or an operative. <laughs> yeah. he, he's, he's there to kind of make these kinds of things happen. No, I don't think Stephen would object to that at all. I mean, he, yeah. So this is a guy who had... He was bragging on Twitter about his BuzzFeed, uh, your BuzzFeed coverage, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Yes, he was. Yeah, I, think he I mean, it makes him sound very powerful. And, and that's what he's paid to do is, yeah, to, is, to, is to kind to create to gin up a news story which which he did Stephen, if you're listening i want a royalty check from your next big contract you owe me 20 percent the finder's fee so this stuff doesn't happen how people think there's no like conservative star chamber where they get together and they decide how no, to manipulate no. the press he, he was he was almost um organizing this out in the open he, oh yeah completely it was, it was all it was all there it was just i mean he so this is a guy who has been very uh, a very strong advocate for the energy industry he's actually been paid by them uh through fleshman hillard this pr firm uh he worked uh essentially for the keystone XL pipeline and a, a PR campaign to try to get American approval for that. So, you know, he's got a uh, vested and financial interest in this, which is, you know, great. Uh, but he also uh, happens to be a very well-connected guy. And so so when this all happens, he just on Twitter openly starts you know, reaching out to people like uh, Minister of Western Economic Diversification, Michelle Rempel, uh, Defense Minister Jason Kenney, for some reason. These people actually weighed in. And as soon as you've got these high-profile 
cabinet ministers weighing in. Uh, you know, first of all, their followers all see this, and then reporters start to take notice, and they start tweeting about it, and then reporters start writing about it, and then that catches on, and so suddenly you've well, got, then Ezra Levant and the rebel become they become a big force multiplier. It's it's this is so, the echo chamber in 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 it, practice. It, it becomes self perpetuating. So yeah. then it starts trending on Twitter, but th- so then reporters can write about how it's a top trending uh, Twitter topic in Canada, and then more stories are written about it, and it just it was a brilliantly uh, done campaign. But it all came from one guy. There was no actual backlash. Who would ever, whose life is small enough that they would ever be that angry about the Tim Hortons choice in advertising partners for their Tim's TV screens while you're trying to get your double-double? Well, to be fair, there were, there were thousands of people who were angry that Tim's was in cahoots with Enbridge, that yeah. it was taking that money. Yeah, it was, it, that's true. Right. I mean, there, it was an environmental... Uh, uh, you know, move to there was a petition for this, and yeah, and and, and certainly the anti oil sands crowd, uh, absolutely, they were offended by it. I I can't quite get my head around this idea that everyone would be so angry on the other side. And yeah. as you can see, it didn't really come from anywhere. It didn't come from people being angry. It came from this this one guy. The, I mean, I, I think that the, the response would be like, so what? This is all legitimate. Yeah. It's, it's legitimate for me to say to elected officials, hey, will you join me in this boycott? It's legitimate for Ezra Levant to say this is, you know, we've got a petition. The the part where I think what you did was a service to your readers was you could read the headlines today and think that this nation, that there was a popular, organic uh, grassroots uprising from people who are either um, employed by the oil industry or sympathetic to that and who uh, are appalled and disgusted at Tim Horton's behavior. And that just isn't true. That, that yeah. just, there's no evidence of that. Absolutely. And so what is a totally legitimate question? I mean, we're, we're not trying to imply this is some sort of really unethical skullduggery or anything. We were just basically trying to dissect Here's how this happened. And, and, and it's not just this case. Uh, th- this happens a lot. I mean, we are living in a world now where you've got uh, very highly trained people who are you know, using social media to manufacture controversies, manufacture reactions, uh, try to impact policy. And I don't always think that the media is good at pulling back the curtains and looking at how these things happen instead of just looking at what's the top trending Twitter topic. And just to give a little bit of context on, you know, uh, are, are we unfairly targeting one side of, you know, it's silly on either side. Boycott oh, teams yeah. for one reason, boycott teams for another reason. The question is, which of these movements is fueled by actual people and which one is fueled by, by political operatives? The, the, yeah, the, the, in- the initial draft of my story, the headline was actually uh, t- Manu- uh, Tim Horton's boycott controversy incredibly lame even by Canadian standards. <laughs> I, I got next. <laughs> the first one, as far as I can tell, the people who put it together are just, you know, environmentalists who are, I don't think are paid to do this kind of work. Maybe more importantly, they had 30,000 signatures. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to a guy who's taking money from uh, the energy industry and then is getting you know, high-profile people. There, there's a stark difference between those two. And, and yeah. absolutely, as you say, if you didn't know that, you would think more people are angry about Tim Hortons pulling the ads than were ever angry about them running them in the first place. And I just, there's no evidence of that. Right. The evidence of the people who are angry about the ads is the 30,000-person-plus yeah. petition. The evidence of people angry that they pulled the ads is the media coverage. Well, and there is is a petition that Ezra Levant has up at the Rebel, and if you go and sign up for that petition right now, it will not tell you how many people you're in you're, you're standing with. The, the number of people who have signed that petition is a secret. Ezra Levant is keeping behind the Rebels uh, <laughs> on the back end of that server. So, you know, so for whatever reason, that is not. Well, a, if it hits thirty one thousand, I'm sure it'll. it'll thirty one thousand will have a press release. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I think this is sort of reflective of a, of a wider thing in Canadian politics that is sometimes missed. Is that it's really easy to look at the thing that's right in front of us. In this case, this social media backlash to Tim Hortons. When a lot of it is is really not as it seems, and I, I don't think we're always very good 
at uh, sort of pulling up the curtain a little bit and like looking at how these things come to be and who's really pushing the messages because uh, especially in Ottawa there's usually someone pushing the message. Let's talk about that in more detail because uh, you know we're here at this journalism conference in Halifax and yesterday uh, you got into a little uh, kind of a, a bunch of examples of just how skilled people who are on the inside track of this are at manipulating the news and manipulating journalists specifically. And, uh, you know, Justin Ling was, was, you know, um, on a panel with you, Justin Ling of, of Vice covers Ottawa as you do for Buzzfeed. Justin covers it for Vice. And he was saying, look, sometimes you got to do it. You got to go make friends with a conservative, have a beer and do that old style thing of, uh, having sources who feel friendly towards you so that they can feed you some information and let, and then let yourself be fed that information. That's the way to get a scoop. And you said, uh, uh-uh. okay. So, so my point is that, it's not that that way of doing things is dead necessarily. It's that if that's all you can do, uh, you're going to be a terrible reporter. That 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 style of being a source reporter solely that is dead. And if you are one of the people who practice in that, and and you know you're you're a pitcher who only has a changeup at this point because the game has changed. People have gotten. I mean, the PR culture in particular has infected government so much that this is leaks are now another tool that are used very, very frequently and 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 very unethically. They will use reporters uh, in ways that, I mean, are, they're, they're just exposing lies and using reporters as vehicles for this. I believe what you said is that if you rely on that too much, you're going to get fucked. And you, yeah, yeah. you gave a couple of examples of how reporters have been yeah. fucked before by, uh, by by conservatives who they were trying to get information from that way, who were fed information. So let's, let's, let's look at those examples. Sure. In 2012, uh, there was a... Um, uh, Vic Taze was a public safety minister, and he wa- was pushing this piece of legislation, surveillance legislation, that was very over the top. And This is lawful access. Uh, people might remember this. Yeah, it's sort of the precursor to C-51, which is before us now. Um, it, uh, there was uh, someone, we at the time did not know who, uh, started a Twitter account called WikiLeaks, which was uh, tweeting out uh, really, really embarrassing details of Vic Tave's divorce files, which are publicly available back in Manitoba. And uh, this created a, a huge uproar in the House that the, he was being you know, intimidated and embarrassed and all that, and his, his rights as a member, an MP were being violated. Interesting case, just to look back on it now, of a guy who, you know, the, the uh, idea of, of that was that here he was introducing legislation that, you know, every privacy advocate in the country and privacy commissioner in the country seemed to feel was going to be a gross Mm -hmm. violation of people's individual privacy. And so some sort of a retaliatory thing, well, here is, we're going to invade his privacy. But they invaded his privacy with public documents. It was tweeting. It was just taking stuff that otherwise would have been kind of hidden in plain sight. Uh, public Manitoba court documents. It was so absurd. Uh, honestly, the, it's too bad. The New York Times should have come in and read a, read a story about this. It was so absurd uh, that uh, Anonymous got involved and like threatened to release more publicly available documents. And that was a comment. The, the Speaker of the House found this a, a violation of Vic Tave's privilege. This went to a parliamentary committee to study what they could do about anonymous threatening an MP with publicly available information. I covered these hearings. It was completely absurd. You had these experts come in just being like, okay, how do we explain how the internet works to these old politicians? And then this sort of, you know, in, in parliament, this hunt for who is responsible, okay, so, yeah, who is responsible, who is responsible for, for taking public documents from one place to another public place. So it's 2012. Uh, Trudeau's not on the scene yet. The NDP are very much uh, second in the polls and seen as the primary contenders to the conservatives. And uh, so Craig Oliver of CTV has around forever, you know, long distinguished career in journalism. He goes on the air and reports that it is an NDP staffer who is behind WikiLeaks. The next day and the day after that in the House of Commons, the Conservatives are getting up and they are just trashing the NDP with this as if it is fact. A few days after that, 
a report comes out because they investigated this, and it turned out the person who did it did it on a House of Commons computer, so they managed to figure out who was behind WikiLeaks. And it actually ended up being a guy who was a liberal staffer, not an NDP staffer. The whole thing about it being an NDP staffer was clearly a leak from the Conservatives. And despite Craig Oliver's long and distinguished history, he got played. He got played. And from what I could tell, there was never any admission of it or any apology for it. I mean, it's actually like quite a skilled manipulation, isn't it? I mean... Yeah, I mean, to turn that you, to their advantage. It, this is the thing. If you go into Ottawa with the opinion that high-ranking government people should be trusted or believed in any way, then this is what's going to happen right now because they shouldn't be trusted or believed. Uh, the, and I, I shouldn't even just say government. I mean, everyone's got an agenda now. But uh, yeah, I mean, people will lie to reporters. How did uh, that fall out for for Craig Oliver? no one noticed no one called him out on it he to my to my knowledge and i was looking he never acknowledged it or apologized for it uh he just pretended it was never said mm-hmm. yeah. what's the next time that uh, something like this happened right so the other example i was bringing up yesterday was uh the following year 2013 john iveson who was definitely a guy who who lives by his sources had a story about how tariffs were going to be cut in the next federal budget, the 2013 federal budget, on hockey gear. Got front page play, it was a big thing, it was a great story for the Conservatives, and then the budget comes out, and they're actually raising tariffs on almost everything except hockey gear. They found, I mean, and again, it's, it's very, very intelligent. They, they get this story about hockey gear that, that's going to resonate with everyone, that's going to stick in the public consciousness. The fact that they're actually essentially raising taxes is sort of the best, the, the most clear way to put it. The fact that they're raising taxes uh, gets completely ignored because of that. Iveson got absolutely played. And again, there's no, there's no admission of this. There's no acknowledgement that, geez, this is happening. Everyone is just, I don't know, too embarrassed. No one wants to call anyone else out. So we just kind of pretend it never happened. And this is consistent with, I mean, you know, Susan Delacourt wrote that book about how very exacting the conservatives are about slicing and dicing special interests giving special consideration if you have a snowmobile there might be something for you you know people vote based on their lives and what's going to impact them um, the marketing for voters book absolutely she really lays out how they they have done i mean there's such sophisticated polling now into what people are interested in what's going to uh, get their attention because m- most people aren't going to pay attention on, to politics on their own so you need these hooks and so absolutely it's it's very very calculated and and, the, and they have a lot of data and, and information uh, at their disposal to know how to plan these leaks and they're they're very good at it what chance do we have? I mean, what you're describing, it really feels like you've got a, like a tiger batting about a little mouse, you yeah. know? If we've got journalists who are just so hungry for a scoop that they will uncritically parrot something that a source tells them on the down low, why is the source telling them? It's not because the source had too many beers or if, feels friendly towards the reporter. No, if you, if you, if you look at, I mean, it'd be an interesting, I mean, some, some journalism profs would be doing this and look at the, the sourced stories, the anonymous sourced stories that come in the media. I mean, the amount that actually just seems to come from someone getting a story over a few beers with a source are very much in the minority. The vast majority, you can see exactly who wants this out. Like, oh, geez, another finance scoop in the Globe and Mail. Wow, uh, who saw that coming? I mean, like it, it, it's very, it's very, very apparent if you want to pay close attention to where these are coming from and who wants to get these out. The stories of how these stories get planted in the press are often more interesting than the planted story themselves. We we did one this week on reporter Jordan Press, so the Canadian Press. Yeah. 
a couple of days before the RCMP released the full Zihaf Bribo video, because they had been holding back 18 seconds, because sources tell the Canadian press that the reason why the RCMP held back that, that stuff is because he's uh, exhorting others to also make terrorist attacks in Canada. He lists off a bunch of names in, uh, of, uh, in Arabic that, you know, this might be some com- communication, all feeding into a narrative that he was not a lone wolf operator. And that was picked up. CBC picked it up. Global yeah. Mail picked it up. And then the video gets released and it's just not in there. He, so he, somebody, whoever his sources were, misinformed him. And it wasn't until I kind of made a stink about it. Um, you know, CP did retract the story, but that retraction didn't make it to the Globe and Mail until I was just sort of banging that drum on Twitter. And then they kind of, thank you very much for telling us we've pulled the story. And, that it, and it, you know, I said, well, that's great. Everyone makes mistakes, but let's talk about how that mistake came to be, because that's interesting. Who wanted you to report that and why? And they told me, they sent me an email saying, well, we're not, we're not following up on that. Yeah, and if you're Jordan, and uh, I mean, I don't know exactly what happened. I thought that, that was such a weird thing that happened because the video was imminently coming out anyway. So what was the point of leaking this false information? To get a day or two to get jump a day or two on it? That it's going to be disproved. I, I, I thought that was so weird. And I've never, I haven't actually talked to Jordan about this, um, you know, who I, who I quite respect. But if I'm Jordan in that situation, let's assume, and I, I do not know, let's assume this is coming from someone in the government or in the RCMP because that seems to be the only natural uh, way that this would have come out. Why are you not then coming out and writing a story about how the RCMP was leaking false information to the press and outing them? I mean, if someone is going to lie to you, if someone is going to manipulate you, why would you take it? Why would you not then? I mean, this applies also to Iveson. This applies also to Oliver. Go out and say, here's where the information came from. Here are the people who are doing this, and here's what they did. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't think that the reporter-source relationship uh, of confidentiality really stands when it becomes apparent that the source is openly manipulating the reporter. What burden of protection do we now owe that person if they are lying to us? Yeah, I wonder that too. You know, this anonymous source, uh, okay, you know, you protect your sources, but you, you find out afterwards that your source completely yeah. played you and, and shielded themselves. It's even personal pride. I mean, how would you, how would you, I, I would be furious if I were on the other end of that. And, I, and, and and here's the thing is you play the source game and, and I don't want to pretend that I haven't done this. Of course, we all use anonymous sources. I've used anonymous sources. It's just it's going to inevitably happen where you get something and no one's going to talk on the record about it. And so we, we all do do it. But if, if I were on that uh, side of it, I would be outraged and I, I wouldn't just wouldn't just take it. I mean, I think well, it's it, embarrassing, right? It's, I mean, it's you, hugely you can see why he just wants it to go away or yeah, might yeah, just want it to go away. Yeah. And yet, you know, what, what is owed to the readers there? Like, so tell us exactly what happened. To, and, you know, arguably that is a better story. Yeah, I don't think media is very good at self-reflection. I mean, you know, Jordan was a leader on the Senate file for the last two years. I, I, he, 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 can, he should be able to be like, look, I will stand by my work, look at everything I've done. But, yeah, in this case, we got it wrong, and here's what happened. I mean, I, I think people – I agree with you. That's a much more interesting story than what he was uh, And getting. people are actually very accepting of human error yeah. if you're just humble about it and, you know, own up to it, especially when you're like, yeah. like hey, and, and here's something more that, you, that you, know, you didn't know before I told it. Yeah, to it you, so. could happen. It really could happen to Like you can get to the truth by making a mistake. You could kind of make a mistake, get played by a source, or, you know, misreport something. Yeah. Say, you know what? I got that wrong, but here's how that happened. And, you know, the reader ultimately is better served by the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean – so clearly this is not, I mean, you know, Jordan Press is at CP. I mean, some of these guys, these are really long-time, high-profile reporters. I mean, there just there are no rules right now. They're not just manipulating young 24-year-olds who just came to the Hill. I mean, this is happening to everyone. And I just, people talk about 
the media all being in collusion, and you know, we always roll our eyes because we know it's not true. I wish it was true. I will say that on the record. I wish the media all worked together. If we what actually, do what do you mean? If, if we tried to actually flex our collective might, we could stamp out a bunch of the horrible PR rot that has ruined Ottawa. I mean, right, right now, and and you, you talk about this, and people. You know, it's easy to sound hyperbolic, but right now in Ottawa, I mean, they've blocked access to cabinet ministers unless they want to talk. They've blocked access to basic information. They've gutted the access to information system. We've just stood by and allowed this to happen because the media is so fractured that any time there's any talk of getting our backup, well, okay, so Sun News isn't going to isn't going to go along with this. So CTV doesn't want to get scooped by Sun. So they're going to do it and now. CBC's gonna, and it's just a house of cards and it all collapses. What if, if we marched in solidarity and we didn't allow ourselves to get played? What could we do? to give some resistance to this lack of access. Well, so everyone in Ottawa complains about this. It used to be, even as recent as the Paul Martin government, that if you asked a question to a, you know, a department, they would file it into one of three categories. One was uh, essentially purely a factual one. How many Canadian Armed Forces bases are there in Canada? And then there was sort of a middle ground, a, a factual question that was a bit loaded, and then finally purely a political one of, um, is the government going to close Canadian Armed Forces? So for the political ones, absolutely, all the political people wouldn't get involved. It would go up uh, go up the chain. Right now, everything, even the most basic, basic pieces of information that you're trying to ask for, you're usually not going to get. Uh, departments have been told, this is insane, but true, departments have been told not even to answer their phones, so that you have to send in an email or leave a voice message, because for them, it's all about getting something written down that they can pass up the line through the Privy Council office and back. And usually what you get several hours later is a response that... Let's say you're asking about uh, cuts to veterans affairs. You're going to get a response that's, uh, that's about how much the minister loves veterans. And it's not going to actually answer your question about, well, when is this office going to shut down or whatever. Right. So, so it's, it's boilerplate, uh, you know, uh, pro-government policy response about the issue, mm-hmm. not indirect. Yeah, it's talking points. It's, not a, it's talking points, and it doesn't address the actual inquiry at all. Exactly. So they do this, and, and everyone complains about it, but I think what reporters often don't sort of sit back and think is they're not doing this because they have a some sort of a huge grudge against the media. They're not doing this because they hate us. They do it because it works. They do it because if you look at most stories that are written, they run those talking points. They say, well, the minister's office would only say this, but that's what they want. They just, it's because, again, Delacroix's book is good at this. It's all about messaging. It's all about getting, they've crafted these messages that uh, they think are going to resonate in people's minds, and that's what they want to get out there. If the media as a whole started saying, you know what, fuck you, you're not going to answer a question, you get did not answer a question, or you got no comment, you got refused an interview, we're not running your talking points, it would actually end. I mean, for whatever reason, and this part I don't actually get, it really bothers them when you do that. You would think that they'd be totally, you know, checked out. But no, if you if you ask a question, they don't actually answer it, and you wrote refuse to answer a question, they get very, very irritated right. to follow up with you. I mean, it's actually effective. And, Which is accurate. I mean, yeah. if, I, if I ask, you know, uh, how come you're wearing no shoes? And they say, well, I have a wonderful hat, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm under no obligation to say, when, you know, when asked why he has no shoes, he said, I have a wonderful hat. Yeah, exactly. You can just answer, when, when asked why he has no shoes, he refused to answer the question. Oh, and, absolutely. And then, you're in, and then they see themselves in press refusing to answer the question. And we, you're right. We get the idea that they don't care. Mm-hmm. They care. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I'm totally with you. There's no ethical issue with this. If they're not answering your question, they're not answering your question but the convention has always been you get both sides of stories the convention has always been well you got to reach out for comment and 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 the convention is there for a reason but 
if the if we have a government as we do right now who has just actively gamed the system to not work, we have to adapt. And we're, I think if we're just well, yeah, they've gamed the system in such a way that them getting caught without shoes is an occasion to boast about their hat. Exactly, like, a, a, a bad press day, uh, a, a journalist actually finding out something becomes an occasion for them to once again get their talking points out. Yeah, unless we just say no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean. For example, Stephen Harper hasn't done a press conference in Ottawa since 2012. But you know what he does do all the time? Photo ops. He does all the time these photo ops of anytime there's a visiting dignitary or he's signing some sort of memorandum of understanding or whatever. He will invite uh, photographers and video people up to his office, but no questions, no reporters allowed. Every single time the photographers and video people line up and they go and they take their photos and they take their video and they don't get a question. If we just said, if we collectively said... Uh, we're not going to do that unless a reporter's allowed up and we're going to ask you some questions about this. Yeah. Then they would have to do it. I mean, they, they, they want those images. It's very important to them. But we don't. And we don't because, and it's, it is understandable, and those, those sort of the realities, is that all you need to do is convince one TV station or one outlet to sort of break it and then the... And then they People got an exclusive. In, well, yeah, the editors in Toronto. Yeah, they've got the lamest exclusive ever, but they get they got an exclusive. <laughs> so then all the editors in Toronto for the opposing networks are like, why don't we have this? Why don't we have this? And they don't. They're not on the trenches, so they don't really see the long game. So they say we want this, and then it just falls apart. Yeah, but there's no accident that the press had a bit more collective might when there was a consortium of just a few press voices. Oh yeah. Now that it's fragmented into a lot of different pieces, it's very hard, you know, just to stop one small outfit. And here you are. You're the BuzzFeed politics guy. <laughs> you're part of the problem, right? You're part of the fragmentation, and you're lecturing, you know, the political. The, the journalistic establishment of how they need to kind of like march yeah, I mean, march in lockstep. I, well, let me, let me clarify. I don't think fragmentation is a problem. I think diversity of media is a great thing, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the places where the press is winning these battles and they, it is happening is provincially. The politicians always need reporters more than reporters need politicians. And in just in Ottawa, there's Ottawa, there's no you gotta way say to that act again, on because that. People forgot about people that. do forget. Politicians need us more than we need them. And it's not even close. It's a lot, a lot. And in provincially, where there's smaller uh, press galleries where they have been able to sort of get their backs up. I was part of one in Nova Scotia. In Nova Scotia, we used to still do. Every Thursday, it's a cabinet meeting. The premier and all the uh, cabinet ministers come out and we get to scrum them. Uh, the, Roddy McDonald, the former premier of Nova Scotia, wanted to change that where he was going to go stand at his podium and we would sit down and throw questions at him and he would look more uh, you know, official and he'd, you know, get the nice lighting and he could choose who was, answering, who was asking questions and who wasn't. Usually it's a scrum and a scrum looks like you're, you're cornering some criminal. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you got mics in your face and people are, you know, you can get... And he wanted to look like Jed Bartlett from something. the West Wing where he's uh, standing he there... Presidential. He's yes. going to stand there as a statesman by the podium and say, "Yes, yeah. Jimmy from the Daily Planet." And we just said no, and and it right. was the weirdest scene. He comes out, he's standing <laughs> at a podium. We're all on the other end of the room, and he's like, "I'm ready to take your questions." And we're like, "Well, uh, Mr. Premier, we'd like you to come where we always do this. I'm ready to take your questions." And it just was this weird standoff, uh, which CTV actually got on video. And so eventually we say, "All right, we'll do it your way." So we all took all of our cameras and everything. We went up to the podium, scrummed him at the podium, but because it was elevated, now the angle for the TV cameras was that low chin it's angle. That Citizen Kane. Yeah, oh yeah. It, it looks terrible. So on the nightly news, he just looked awful. So uh, the the uh, quote unquote compromise was he was going to keep the podium, but we could still scrum him around it on the ground. So we got exactly what we were doing before, but he had a piece of wood in front of him. And but, I mean, it was a, just a complete walk down. But that's what that's what happened because the press gallery just stood up and said no. That is the silliest thing I ever heard. <laughs> it's very Nova Scotian. <laughs> So BuzzFeed was a, a, a punchline at a recent uh, award show. Mansbridge made some, you know, little, you know, pl- bastard. playful dig at you guys. And what is the line? You guys uh, are just doing cat, cat lists. You're doing lists, lists about kittens on the internet. 
Let me tell you, I love when people say that shit. It is great. It is nothing that is more invigorating, invigorating as a reporter than being the underdog. That is exactly the approach I want people to have because we're going to eat their lunch if they think like that. I mean, we, we are going to be doing a mix of uh, hard investigative news and news that other people are doing, but we're going to do it in a more blunt more blunt way, a more entertaining way, and just in a different way. So there's so much straight-laced Canadian media and no one trying to have some fun with it, which is what we're going to do. But, but like I say, I love when people come with that approach because I think we're going to be breaking a lot of stories. I'd kind of rather be covering Ottawa from your position than be burdened with the dignity and respectability of the Globe and Mail or the CBC to be considered just silly when you actually are the one to you know do what, like what you just did. Yep. And explain to people in kind of an evocative web journalism sense of just, you know, it's almost like a storify where you have the tweets and then here's this led to this and this led to this and it wasn't written in CP yeah, style. And more people should be doing it. I mean, if you're if you're CBC or if you're the Canadian press, you can't. You, can't. you just can't. That's not your job. You, you got to be covering the main stuff. But because they're there, especially the Canadian press is a fantastic breaking news bureau in Ottawa. More places, I think, should be relying on that. Everyone subscribes to CP. Use that for your day-to-day copy because it's going to be very, very good. And then use your resources to do other stuff or do things in a different way on the side. Everyone's been talking about that for years, and it just keeps not happening, and I don't understand it. So what are you going to do if you're not having the beer with the with the conservative and getting fed some false information? How are you going to get a scoop? There needs to be a shift more towards looking at the things that the government still legally has to disclose, because there's a lot. I mean, anytime they do, a, they pay for a poll, uh, government studies, every time they buy everything, uh, buy anything, uh, any contract they do, I mean, everything has to be written down somewhere. But there's never going to be a press release put out about it. You gotta, you gotta, we need more people actually be going through these departmental performance reports, going through you know, the end-of-year summary of what was spent, going through d- tenders, all of this stuff, access to information requests. I mean, the, the, there has to be more of a move towards data journalism. Mm-hmm. And we're never going to wholly move away from source journalism. It's, it's just not going to happen, and it shouldn't happen. But the thing is that if, what I have found is if you have a broad base of being able to find stories, and the reporters who do have that, you're still going to be able to get sources to talk to you. I mean, you look at someone like uh, Glenn McGregor. Glenn McGregor's maybe the, the ultimate data journalist. He still gets sources to talk to him. People, they have short memories in Ottawa. Even if you fuck them one day on a story, if the next day they find out something that's going to screw over someone they don't like, they're still going to come to you yeah. because they respect you as a reporter. I mean, it, you don't need to just rely on sources to, to get by. In Being Ottawa. an adversarial journalist doesn't mean that you're not going to get information from sources. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we've done a lot of uh, talk here that I think conservatives will find, you know, uh, bashing of uh, their elected officials and their <laughs> right. operatives and, the, and, and, and their popular movements. If uh, liberals or NDP are, are uh, in power, you think it's going to be any different for journalists? No, I mean, I, I, I don't expect so. And, and it's not going to change with governments, I think it's going to change when we force it to change. Uh, like I said earlier, they do it because it works. They do it because it's an effective way of getting their message out, and they do it because it avoids off-the-cuff gaffes. I mean, people talk about Stephen Harper uh, with a certain tactical reverence, but I mean, if you look at his past interviews, he he was kind of a Trudeau. He would often flub his lines. He would often say things that were very, they're taken the wrong way, they were very embarrassing. So he just decided, okay, I'm going to keep the mic out of my face. And it has worked very, very well for him. I completely understand why they did it. And I completely understand why the NDP or the Liberals would do it to a varying degrees. I mean, this is, the way it's done right now is a sort of a level of neuroses that might not be quite the same, but uh, overarching media control, absolutely. When the NDP came in in uh, Nova Scotia, when I was covering them, they did the exact same thing. The exact same thing. They they aped the conservatives' uh, tactics. The one thing I will say is that 
there, there are opportunities to move the line. And uh, when Harper was elected, uh, he he brought in a, a new act to supposed to beef up uh, access information and transparency, and ended up doing a fraction of what was actually supposed to happen. But during elections, in particular, and doing doing during changeovers of government, when someone's in opposition, they have to say, "Of course, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this," and you got to hold them to it. They're only going to do a fraction of it, but it's the only way if they get into power. But it's the only way, th- chance we have to sort of yeah move the goalposts a little bit. No government wants to be more accountable. No, of course not. Why would they? It's insane. I mean, I, 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 we should we should look at it from their side. We'd probably be doing the exact same thing. As soon as you remove any conception of ethics or being a good person or like the public's right to know, as soon as that goes out the window, it makes total sense to completely funnel information like to funnel information through yourself and you decide exactly what gets out and anything that doesn't uh, anything that is uh, at all negative towards you 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 just uh, cut that off i mean it, it's completely logical what is happening happening right now yeah uh, we just need to adapt to it they're doing their jobs they're doing their jobs so we need to do ours that's your canada land show i hope you enjoyed it you can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com i read them all i respond when i can i'm on twitter at jesse brown and the show's website is canadalandshow.com i make this show with katie jensen the next episode of canada land commons will be up tomorrow on tuesday and the next episode of shortcuts will be online thursday if you like this show support it 